After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast of the non-two-hour variety. Along with Jim Callis, I am John Manuel. Uh, Jim, I hope you got some caffeine in you. I know you're not a coffee drinker, but a late night last night with the draft signing deadline. I think we'd all appreciate it if the draft signing deadline, Jim, were moved to like 4 o'clock in the afternoon like to do with the trade deadline. That would make a lot of people happy. But uh, welcome back into the podcast and uh, great work last night. And uh, it was it was a, the, the fifth year of the draft signing deadline, Jim. And I think my favorite part of how the deadline has changed over those five years was you were looking back through old draft blogs of 2007, the first year of the deadline and the first year of our draft blog. And I found the post that said that, uh, and then there were eight, and at 11, <laughs> 11 a.m., uh, so 13 hours before the deadline that morning in 2007, you said, well, now that Porcello and Bumgarner are signed, we've got uh, 13 hours till the deadline, and there are eight unsigned first-round picks. And last night, an hour before the deadline, as you basically predicted, you, you said the whole summer, we're going to get to 11 o'clock and have 20 unsigned first-round picks. That's where we got with, what, 22 unsigned first-round picks with an hour left. And 23. Yet, I, think it was, was, I think it was 23 because 22 – ah, I'm quibbling. But I actually think it was 23 unless I, I'm miscounting here on my spreadsheet. So, <laughs> Well, e- either way, we had 23 unsigned first-round picks with an hour to go. And yet we had one first-round pick who did not sign. I think we both – you expect that there would be no unsigned first-round picks. I thought there'd be one or two. I think I was thinking two because the last three years we'd had eight unsigned first-rounders. So we were both off. We had one unsigned first-round pick and Tyler Beatty. Our own Aaron Fitt has already spoken to Tyler Beatty, the Massachusetts prep right-hander who uh, is going to Vanderbilt. Beatty told him he turned down, I think it was $2.4 million and stuck, right. to, his, stuck to his number, which was three point five. So let's start there with our one unsigned first-round pick, Jim. I, I guess if there was going to be an unsigned first-rounder, a guy going to Vanderbilt, uh, that one made some sense. Uh, he, he was one of the more the handful of logical guys who wouldn't sign. Uh, but what do you think about him not signing in the Blue Jays' overall approach? I don't think they got to 17 to $20 million, but they spent a lot of money last night. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think all the ingredients were there. If we, we and I think we talked about this, you know, the possibility there would be an unsigned guy, perhaps, but it was hard to necessarily pinpoint who it would be. But the ingredients were there. You know, he was committed to Vanderbilt. There was talk uh, that there were teams behind the Blue Jays who were promising him a bunch of money had he fallen to hit them in the draft, which he didn't. That complicates matters. Um, there were rumors he had a pre-draft deal with Toronto, and I've had people tell me they think it's true. I've had people tell me they think it's untrue. 
Um, I've had, but like I said, I had people tell me they think there was a deal, and MLB was coming down on them about it, and so it was pulled off the table. Um, and then you have the way that the the MLB was just putting the slow, just slow, slow, slow on letting teams negotiate with players, not authorizing them to make overslot offers till the last second. And you know, going into, I, I think Tyler Beatty also told Aaron Fit his asking price was three and a half. And going in, you know, I think you know, an hour or two before the deadline, the Jays were at about a million and a half, and the the Beatties were at three and a half. And that's an awful lot of, of gap to make up you know, in, in a short period of time, and it doesn't happen. And and I think we said on the pre or the pre deadline podcast, weren't necessarily sure who it might be, but when you have these negotiations basically being put on hold until the last minute, the potential is that you just run out of time to work something out. And that potential was realized with the Jays and Tyler B. I still think the Jays did pretty well for themselves. Uh, Daniel Norris gets done for $2 million, much to the chagrin of the uh, Clemson Tigers, uh, these kind of things. But I still think Tampa's, I mean, uh, Toronto's draft went fairly well. Let's hit some of the bigger, uh, well, some of the bigger bonuses, uh, Jim, and the teams that paid out those bigger bonuses. I, I, I have to say, for me, the biggest shock of the night was Josh Bell, the Pirates' second-round pick, signing with the Pirates for $5 million. It's the largest signing bonus ever for a player after the first round or the supplemental first round. It blew away the old record by two and a quarter million dollars, a record that had been there for 10 years, 10 drafts. Um, was was Josh Bell signing for $5 million the biggest shock for you, Jim? That That one blew me away. Yeah, you know, I'm supposed to be this supposed draft expert, and I and I wrote my setting the scene for deadline day uh, story for for Monday morning. Two guys who aren't the two highest profile guys who aren't expected to sign: Josh Bell, Matt Perk. I wasn't going to uh, bring that up. <laughs> and, and you know, my my parlay. I mean, and you kept hearing whispers all summer: Josh Bell might sign. Uh, you know, and there started little whispers recently: Matt Perk might sign. And you know, I'm working. Basically, I, I guess the best way to put it without getting two sides to every negotiation, I'm talking to individuals on both sides of negotiations and not really getting the sense that they're going to sign. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah, th- I think those were the two shockers. I mean, I don't, I don't know if this was an orchestrated plan by the Boris Corporation, if there was a change of heart that $5 million is too much to turn down. But all spring, you know, I do our Texas draft coverage. I was told – Josh Bell won't sign for ten million, won't sign for fifteen, won't sign for twenty. You know, I was told teams offered him, you know, looted, hey, seven and a half, we'll draft you if you'll agree to seven and a half. All this talk, you know, sent the letter to the Major League Scouting Bureau, which in and of itself doesn't mean that you're not gonna you don't want to go pro. You know, other guys have done that before, but no, I didn't think he was gonna sign. Um and if you told me he was gonna sign, I would have thought $5 million, I, that would have been the under. I always say never bet the under with Scott Boris. I would have bet the under on that one, but but you, ha- I, I just – I'll take my hat off. And I don't know if this was orchestrated. It's just the way it turned out. I love Josh Bell as a prospect. I think he was the best all-around high school bat in the draft. If you want to quibble about the health or the size of Anthony Rendon, I wouldn't agree with you, but I think you could argue that Josh Bell might have the highest all-around offensive ceiling in the draft if you just wanted to go crazy on him. All that said, if there were no signability questions about Josh Bell, you know he probably goes somewhere between eight and fifteen in the draft, and you know we're talking about a bonus, you know, in the Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez range, you know, two and a half, you know, between two and a half and three. 
he wouldn't have gotten five purely on talent. And again, I don't know if this was – he really did want to go to school and changed his mind or this was a brilliantly calculated plan. But Josh Bell got $5 million, and his market value was probably closer to two and a half. And so that's – however that came about, pretty amazing. But that was, that was some nice work done by somebody. I agree. I think that's oh, and, and, you summed it up very well to compare him. Like, you know, who would I rather have, Baez or Bell? That's tough. I mean, Lindor uh, being a shortstop kind of puts Lindor at the front of that group for me. You know, Baez, sounds yeah, like I has, agree. Baez sounds like he has similar offensive upside to Bell with a few more question marks off the field, maybe, uh, or just in the makeup, in the nebulous makeup. Not as not a great teammate. That's been thrown at Baez. But I, I'm of the belief that you can temp, you can tone a guy down, uh, you can tone a guy with a, too much fire down. Those guys, those kind of guys can mature. So I would take my chances with a Baez, and Baez can play the infield. So I might have taken Javier Baez over him. But like you said, those are the two high school bats ahead of him, and he got two million dollars and change more money than they did. So that's pretty nice work, like you said. Uh, and I just want I agree. to say too, though, also give credit for nice work, John. Pirates, excellent pick, excellent pick. A lot of, I mean, nobody thought he was signable. Pirates, you know, they're headed to you know another losing season. You know, after contending, you know, for a while, and they stole a guy who should have been a top fifteen pick in this draft with the sixty first pick of the draft. I also like the fact. I mean, I know for me, and we've talked about this, going into the second day of the draft after the sandwich round. One of the first questions on my mind was, how far is Josh Bell going to fall? Because he's unsignable. Who's going to take him? Right. Bam, first pick. Pirates taking him, and, and they did this last year. With Stetson Alley. They gave Stetson Alley $2 million bonus in the second round after he fell out of the first because of, he had a big price tag. He wasn't considered unsignable. You know, they tried it a couple of years with Tanner Shepherds, who would have been a, a top 10 pick if he hadn't been hurt, and he didn't get healthy enough to sign. But that this is – you need to be bold and aggressive in the draft, especially if you're a smaller revenue team that hasn't enjoyed success. And, and my hat is off to the Pirates. I mean – it's amazing, and we, 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 yeah, believe me, I heard this from a bunch of people. We were all talking about this last night, scouting directors, you know, draft observers. Frank Coonley, you know, when he worked for MLB, his job <laughs> was to tell teams not to spend on the draft and how you're just misguided, you shouldn't spend this money. First three years with the Pirates, they spend more on the draft than anybody. Last night, Frank Coonley, who's now the team president of the Pirates, his team, on just their first two picks in the draft – Yep spent more on bonuses by more than a million dollars than any team had ever spent on any draft. We're still gathering bonus information, so I don't know if the Pirates now hold the spending record. The Nationals, who set that record in each of the last two years, did their very best not to give that record up without a fight. And I don't have all the final tallies for all the later round picks, but the Pirates or the, you know, or the Nationals, I think, set a record for draft spending. We just don't know which one right now. Yeah, just my eyeballing it this morning, Jim, was the Nationals were still going to pull, I think, a little bit ahead of the Pirates, but I could be wrong. I mean, I, I, the, the Pirates with $13 million and the first two players, we've already talked a lot about Josh Bell. Uh, how about, They got $1.2 million on their ninth rounder, too. So I see I left Pirates. that one out. That's a great point. Uh, Clay Holmes, that's a record for the round, correct? I love my round records, <laughs> and Clay Holmes, Clay Holmes, uh, that record had lasted forever. The, the old ninth-round record was $750,000 by Jason Middlebrook. That, that was so long ago, John, it was my first stint at Baseball America in 1996 uh, when that deal happened. So that record lasted 15 years until Clay Holmes, who's a – you know, projectable, big, strong Alabama high school right-hander got $1.2 million from the Pirates as a ninth-round pick. 
And Jason Middlebrook, hopefully, Clay Holmes exceeds Jason Middlebrook's 77 and two-thirds big league innings. We'll just put it that way. Um, but I, you brought up 1996. Uh, that's the last time, Jim, that a player got a larger signing bonus in the draft than uh, Garrett Cole did, the first overall pick. And, of course, the players who got larger signing bonuses than Cole were free agents. Matt White, the seventh overall pick that year, and uh, and Travis Lee, who was the second overall pick that year. Uh, so Garrett Cole gets the largest signing bonus in draft history, and that one was kind of nifty too. Uh, he's a Boris Corporation client. And, Jim, I was impressed by the fact that Obviously, I think if you're a college pitcher, we've come to expect first-round elite college pitchers are going to get major league contracts. And if you're going to, if you're Garrett Cole and you have Steven Strasburg-type grades on your stuff with your fastball velocity, your breaking ball, he doesn't have Strasburg's command. I don't think he's quite as athletic as Strasburg, but he's explosive. You talked all summer like that was the aim. They were going to get fifteen million dollars. Or fifteen million dollar major league contract for Cole, but that seemed like they're going to, they were, you know the Boris Corp are going to try to use that as a benchmark. They didn't approach that. They didn't get the eight figure bone uh, contract of say like a Mark Pryor, but they got the biggest bonus in draft history. I, I thought that was pretty impressive as well. Deal for just both for Pittsburgh, which doesn't have to spare a forty man roster spot, and for the Cole camp and the Boris Corp. But I think everybody kind of won on that one. I think so too. I mean, it's you know, it's funny because it's you know, we could it'd be interesting if we had a nice like point counterpoint, and you had Garrett Cole or you had Scott Boris who advised Garrett Cole, and you had one of the guys from CAA which advised Danny Holton at number two, and they could argue over who got the better deal. I mean, Cole got the higher bonus at eight million. Danny Holton got an eight point five million dollar. Guaranteed big league contract with the potential for more. I think he can get you know the potentials for more in there if he earns. You know, if he spends most of that time in the major leagues, I'm sure Scott would tell you, well, you know, Garrett's deal doesn't include major league salaries, obviously. It would be an interesting point-counterpoint to see, uh, you know, I'm sure they both would pick their guy. I have no doubt about that. But maybe an interesting point-counterpoint to see how those deals were debated. But the bottom line is they're both great deals. Garrett Cole gets a record bonus, and Danny Holston gets $8.5 million guaranteed, more guaranteed money up front, or not up front, but more guaranteed money than the number one pick in the draft in Garrett Cole. I I'm, I was just about to say that's why I was going with Cole. I I, st- I think Cole did well for himself and they did well. But I think Holton's deal is a pretty sweet deal for Danny Holton, <laughs> uh, who was not expected to be the number two overall pick. But clearly the Mariners they said we took him because we thought he was the second best player in this draft, and they paid him like it. Um, they did, you know. And, and the thing is with him, I mean, it's an eight and a half million dollar guaranteed. But if he spends, we'll we'll throw out 2012. But let's say he spends. You know, and he might make the big leagues next year, but if Danny Holson spends 13, 14, 15, 16 all in the big leagues, well, then he's going to make another, uh, I think, one, it'll be like a $10.3 million deal. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I love Danny Holson. A little surprised he went number two in the draft because I don't think anybody saw that coming. The Mariners kept that close to the vest. And, I mean, I thought he'd get paid. Didn't necessarily think he'd get a higher guarantee than Garrett Cole. Although, again, like I said, it's kind of apples and oranges because one's a big league contract, one's a straight bonus, and you know you, you can you can argue the ins and outs of them. But uh, tremendous deal for both those guys. And again, you know, I hammer this point home all the time, John. I'm sure there are listeners out there going, "Man, I can't believe the money these guys are getting." Teams want the talent, and they'll pay for the talent. Yep, yep. And just imagine what these guys would have gotten. I'm not advocating having the draft, but what if this was like the old Wild West when there was no draft and these guys were free agents? 
Garrett Cole and Danny Holtz would probably be signing for like $30 million major league contracts. They would get what Dylan Bundy was asking for. You know, the or what Aroldis Chapman got. Right, you know? right. You know, Aroldis Chapman's got a great arm, but it's not like he's exactly dominating major league baseball right now either. Great point. That's, a, that's an important point. <laughs> I think is a very important point. That's uh, the Baseball America podcast with John and Jim. Uh, we've got about 20 minutes. We're actually on a time uh, limit today, so as opposed to the last podcast. Uh, Jim, uh, you know, we, we've talked about the Pirates a little bit. $13 million just on two players. So $14, $14 million really yesterday, just counting Clay Holmes and those two guys at the top of the draft. Uh, the Nationals, we've also mentioned the Nationals spent a lot of money. We've touched a little bit on Matt Perk. Let's talk a little bit more about Matt Perk, Anthony Rendon, Brian Goodwin. I think we all knew. You and I talked for the last three years. Alex Meyer's going to get $2 million when he comes out as a junior. That's what he got. Uh, we should have laid some money down on that in Vegas. Um, I think Brian Goodwin and Matt Perk are two of the other bigger surprises of the whole night. Uh, Brian Goodwin getting $3 million uh, out of the Nationals as the first pick of the supplemental first round, and then Perk in the third round uh, getting basically a Trevor Bauer-type contract. Uh, I guess Perk was the bigger surprise. I mean, what – what was the game plan for Matt Perk and the Nationals all summer? I mean, he never pitched this summer, correct? I mean, how how could the Nationals make that? Where, where do they? What is the basis for that contract? Their evaluation of Matt Perk in 2009 and maybe 2010? Yeah, you know what happened on that. It was interesting because when they drafted Matt Perk, you know, and for our listeners, I'm sure a lot of them know, but Matt Perk came into the year ranked as the third best prospect in the draft by Baseball America, behind Anthony Rendon and Garrett Cole. Um, and it's amazing the Nationals got two of those guys uh, right. with the six to ninety-six picks in the draft. Um, anyway, you know, freshman of the year last year, first-round pick out of high school, they agreed to six million dollars with the Rangers, and MLB killed the deal because they controlled the team's finances. Came out this year, had shoulder issues, had some back issues, had some blister issues. Never really built up his arm strength in the off-season because he hadn't pitched in the summer fall. He just, it, you know, he, he went out there and competed. Actually, lowered his ERA by almost two runs uh, in a lot fewer innings. Um, but was never the guy that people had seen the previous two years. When the Nationals took a flyer on him, when they took him in the third round of the draft, I think the perception was, my perception was even up till a couple days ago, really, no way Matt Perk's going to sign for much less than the $6 million he was guaranteed, you know, he was going to get from the Rangers. Um, and when the when the Nationals took him, John, Mike Rizzo was quoted as saying, we're going to evaluate him in the Cape Cod League. Well, rather than wind up pitching in the Cape Cod League, Perk and his advisors at, at Select Sports decided he'd be better off, you know, basically just doing a lot of I don't know if it'd be rehab work, but more like strengthening work. You're know, just trying to get back and, and get back to where he was, rather than trying to do it in game situation, just with a lot of workouts at his home in the Houston area. Um, I do know he threw a lot of bullpen, you know, did a lot of bullpen workouts. Nationals saw a lot of those. I think, from what I've I've been told, very impressed. With how hard he, I mean, nobody's ever questioned. I mean, there may be people who don't like Matt Perk's delivery because it's a low three quarters angle, and some people don't like, you know, think it's a slingy delivery, and that's part of the reason for the shoulder issues. Right. But nobody's ever questioned that Matt Perk competes hard and Matt Perk works hard. And I think the Nationals, even though he wasn't pitching, say, in the Cape Cod League like Anthony Renato did on his comeback trail last year, I think they were just very impressed with how hard Matt was going after it, how good he looked in the bullpen. I guess they obviously saw enough to think 2009, 2010, Matt Perk was going to be back. You know, it was back. Um, and he winds up getting a $2.75 million bonus and a major league deal with a guaranteed value of $4.15 million. And again, if he gets to the big leagues fairly quick, he can make as much as $5.6 million. So, 
Um, you know, it's he didn't get the six million he turned down out of high school, but he can get almost you know almost all of that six or I shouldn't say turned down it was taken away from him out of high school by MLB, but he can get almost six million dollars if he's in the big leagues for the majority of his contract. And right, you know, that's one. Like I said with Josh Bell, I, I didn't think there was any chance it was going to happen because I just didn't think he'd settle. For, I, I didn't think he could. I did not think the Nationals could pay him a number high enough, you know, based on what he'd been doing this summer to get him to sign. But they came up with a creative way to get it done. It's funny, though, because you and I, you know, you're reporting stuff during deadline day. You and I are talking all during the day. And, yeah. you know, we're exchanging, like, the stuff we can't report. Like, hey, I'm hearing this rumor, but I'm not just going to throw a wild rumor out there. There were reports yesterday, John, when I was first hearing more, Perk's going to sign, Perk might sign. Guys were telling me million and a half big league deal. And I was like, a million and a half? There's yeah. zero chance. Yeah. But that was going out there. And then it was a two and a half million dollar big league deal. And I was thinking, there's that, that just seemed light. Well, I mean... He blew that away. He got $2 million more than, than the rumor mill was telling us yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Which is why we, we, we don't traffic heavily in rumors because right. they don't usually turn out to be correct. That's, that's, that's it in a nutshell, which is it's so dangerous with Twitter, and it's so dangerous in today's media environment. Um, it, it's not – and I, I mean, heck, I forget who the player was, but I know 11 o'clock last night or 10.45, I was like, let me tweet this. Let me tweet this. You were like – no, that's not confirmed. Don't do that yet. Yeah, well, yeah, and I will say this. With this, especially with the way they bottlenecked, MLB tried to make everything happen at once, so it was kind of chaos, and people couldn't figure out what other people were doing. Twitter's like, guy, I don't know how we would have covered this signing deadline without Twitter this year, John. There's no way I we know. could have blogged, you know, each signing as it happened. But, you know, I mean, we were talking about this, you know, like well into the morning last night. You know, the deadline hits at 12 Eastern, and, you know, also, you know, it's starting about 11.58 my phone, my instant message, my email, it's like bing, 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 like deal after deal after deal people are telling me about. And I think I typed for 20 or 25 minutes straight, took no break. You know, other than that, I had a couple of phone calls too. And all I was doing was like typing in deal, typing in deal, typing in deal. That's but, it. Uh, like I said, I mean, Twitter, I mean, that, this could be a whole nother podcast, but Twitter, it was like a godsend. It's the best way to to give out these like burst after burst after burst of news. And, and it was like 20 minutes of news nonstop. And thank God for Twitter. So it was frenetic last night. Yeah, that is for sure. It, it was frenetic. Um, it's the baseball America podcast with John and Jim. Let's touch on a couple other clubs. We talked about the nationals, Jim, uh, what other clubs impressed you, uh, as far as, uh, sealing up the deal on the deadline last night and, and making, uh, an iffy, not an iffy, but like a team like the Brewers, for example, and the Diamondbacks, teams that had multiple first-round picks, get all theirs done. I guess it, was, I mean, it didn't seem like there was any team that really would would say they had a disappointing night. A few players got away. Uh, let me try to phrase a question in a more specific way. Were there some players who didn't sign who you really thought would sign besides a Beatty? Um, who- um, yeah, I mean – and like even with Beatty, I mean, like we said, the ingredients were there. And I, I do agree with your point. You know, I, I don't – I. Did not, when all was said and done, look at this and go, oh, there's the team that lost out. Because Toronto didn't sign Beattie, but they're as aggressive as anybody in the draft. They had extra picks. They got plenty of talent. You know, the next guy didn't sign was Brett Austin, high school catcher, who the Potters didn't sign the sandwich round. But the Potters still got Joe Ross done in the first round. They still got Austin Hedges, who a lot of people thought was as unsignable as any of the top prospects in the draft, you know, all spring. They got him done in the second round, plays the same position as Brett Austin, and they signed Michael Kelly in, in the sandwich round, another pitcher. So I don't think, you know, I don't think, I mean, sure, they probably would have loved to have Brett Austin, but they get the pick back, and they got plenty of talent. You know, in the second round, 
The Yankees didn't sign a guy. Sam Stafford, who from all reports seems like he didn't pass a physical. But I think we felt like Sam Stafford was overdrafted in the second round. We didn't have him rated nearly that highly. The Yankees spent plenty of money elsewhere. Um, you know, Seattle Mariners didn't get Kevin Crone done in the third round, but they got Holson like we talked about. They got Brad Miller. They went and got uh, Germany's first draft pick in the ninth round. Kevin Coho signed for 650. So they made up for it other ways. Uh, you know, I, I really don't think there's a team. You know, the Rockies didn't sign Peter O'Brien in the third round. And I'm sure they would like to sign him, but, you know, I mean, he went where he should have gone in the draft. They didn't work it out. They signed other players. You know, so be it. I, I, I don't think there's any team that's sitting here this morning going, Oh man, you know we we blew our draft. We we didn't get the job done. I know the Mar- the Marlins really wanted to go get get Connor Barron in the third round. Right. They offered him they offered him a million dollars and he turned it down. And if and if you know if you're a team and you offer a third round pick a million dollars and he turns it down, you know and you respect the decision. But I don't think the Marlins the Marlins have never paid that kind of money to a pick that late in the draft. I, I don't think the Marlins should feel bad this morning. They 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 did everything they could to try to get Connor Barron signed. I was really shocked that Connor Barron turned him down of a million dollars to go to Southern Mississippi. I think Southern Miss had a had a big night. Um, let's take some of the Twitter questions that we had at uh, at John Manuel B A and we'll and at Jim Callis B A and we'll uh, wrap up the podcast. Um, Joe Lacates, who visited the home office here this week, steady uh, podcast listener and, and fan, not holding us. You should have had him as a podcast guest, John. I probably should actually, but he, I'm not. He said I'm not holding you guys to it. But where does the national system rank after this haul? And I would say, Jim, uh, you know, Mike Rizzo's quote to the Washington Post that I saw was, "We're the talk of the industry right now." And I would <laughs> say, uh, you know, <laughs> that's hilarious. A. B, I, I still think you have to say with Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Matt Perk, Brian Goodwin, Alex Meyer, Matt Perk at the top AJ five. AJ Cole, throw AJ Cole in there too. Absolutely, for $2 AJ Cole, year. Sammy Solis. I know they like the Robbie Ray kid from last year too. Uh, that's a top Brad five. Merged. It's a top so. five farm system. I'm, I'm not going to say that. To me, the Blue Jays and Rays are still the top two farm systems off the top of my head. But the Nationals are right in there. When you talk about impact talent, if I had a little more faith in Alex Meyer, maybe a little bit more faith in uh, in Brian Goodwin, who I like, and a little more faith in Matt Perk's health, uh, that that would be maybe my number one farm system. But they're in the top five for me right now. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't I, I don't think I quite put them number one. And I always I always beg off these type of questions midseason because it's so hard to answer until you stack them up. Definitely top ten organization. Very well could be top five. Again, it's hard to know how the. I remember last year we were talking about the Reds, and I like their system, but I didn't think it was, you know, an elite. I don't, you know, I didn't think it was like you know one of baseball's best systems. And then we come around and we're we're lining all the organizations up. We're doing the prospect handbook, and I'm like, you know, I really like the Reds, John, John, John. When we were talking about what the Josh should have listened to John because I really like the Reds farm system a lot more than I realized. Yeah. So yeah, I think they're 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 somewhere in that five to ten range probably for me. Let's see. We've also got uh, assuming hard slotting is a pipe dream. Other options in next year's CBA agreement to ease deadline craziness? Asks, whoa, doctor. Um, well, I, I do think that hard slotting is not going to happen. Um, you know, it, the, it, 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 what the what MLB would, ha- would have to give up to get it, if they could, I, I think would be too much. The union doesn't want it. It would just create more problems. I think I think we're we're not looking at a lot of remedies. Short answer: the best thing MLB could do to make the draft run smoother is to leave it alone. The more they try to do things, the worse they make it. I think we'll get an earlier signing deadline. I think that'll be fairly easily negotiable. July fifteenth, July first, somewhere in there. Um, 
Other than that, I don't know if you're, there's a whole lot of remedies that are going to come out of the CBA. You, you may have trading draft picks. You may not. But that's that's going to create as many problems as it solves. There are going to be times where it will be great for a team to trade draft pick. There will be time where an agent's leveraging a team to make them trade the draft pick. I agree. Um, I, I'm, against, I'm against trading draft picks, Jim. And the reason why is other leagues trade draft picks because they don't have prospects. Baseball doesn't have to have trading of draft picks just because other leagues have it. They have minor leaguers. That's what they use. I just I don't understand why there's that disconnect, and I don't see just what you said. Trading of draft picks will create just as many problems as it might solve. So it would create more interest, but it's not going to solve anything. I think the only other thing actually I, I think don't see about how time. it creates any more interest in the draft. I don't. I well, yeah. I mean, it's, there's not as much interest in the baseball draft as say the football draft. I do think there's not interest be, in the football draft because of dr- trading. No, of no, not because of trades. I'm just saying I think it would be interesting, maybe because I covered the draft and you covered the draft, if. The Yankees traded, uh, you know, I don't know, Phil Hughes to get the number five pick in this year's draft or something. To me, you know, I, to me the fact that there is not trading of draft picks and that the prospects are what gets traded instead, that's what creates interest in prospects. There'd be no interest or much less interest, I think, in the minor leagues and in prospects if, you know, if, if they were trading of draft picks. But that, that's a whole other podcast. But I'm, I'm against I, – I think the knee-jerk reaction – of people to say, oh, we should trade draft picks. Why don't they? Other sports do it. They don't even think of that. Other sports don't have minor leagues. It's a big You're difference. Right. If, in the NBA, if in the NFL, if they could trade the rights to some sophomore in the SEC for, for a, a, an NFL-level player, they'd do it in a heartbeat. No, uh, you're right. And I was going to say one other thing, just getting back to the CBA question. The other thing that might change, I don't think it will have a great effect on how guys sign or, or anything, but one thing that might happen, we might see. I think we may see a change in the free agent compensation rules. That would love that. result in perhaps fewer free agent picks, which I think would be good. Fewer compensation picks, which would be good. If you have a situation like this year, I mean, granted they took took Josh Bell and it worked out. But the Pirates, you know, worst team in baseball, they get the number one pick. They don't have any rated free agents they lose. In a lot of cases, the teams don't feel like they can offer arbitration even if they do have free agents that are going to get compensation, and so they don't get the picks. So the Pirates pick one. And they don't pick again until 61 because there's 27 compensation picks in this year's uh, in this year's draft, 27 supplemental first-round picks. So I think that may get reduced, but I don't think we're going to see major changes. I think we'll see an earlier signing deadline, which I think the, the money will spent will still be the same. It just will be a month earlier, and you'll see more guys get out and play, and you may see fewer compensation picks. But I don't think there's no quote-unquote cure for the draft, although, again, I don't think the draft necessarily needs to be cured. Right. I think the teams, you know, the teams control the, you know, the players are limited to negotiating with one team. So these bonuses are already a lot less than they would be if these guys were on the open market. MLB needs to, in my opinion, be happy with, you know, they have done some things that have stemmed the growth of bonuses and reined them in in some areas. And instead of being happy with what they've done, it's they get upset that they can't control every bonus. Well, you're not going to stop the Pirates from paying Garrett Cole $8 million, or the Mariners from paying Danny Holson 8 or the Diamondbacks for giving Trevor Bauer a 4.4 in a guaranteed deal and Archie Bradley $5 million because teams want talent and they're going to do that. You should be happy you've controlled what you can control and, and be done with it, although I don't think the commissioner's office shares my view on that. I, I wish they would. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, wrapping up the podcast, we've got a couple of Padres questions. Rick Wolfson and Woe Doctor both asking about the Padres. Um, one asking, what was the Padres' final offer to Brett Austin? And another asking about uh, thoughts on the Padres' draft in general. Will any of their, t- any of their uh, draft picks make the top 100? I'll tell you, I think it's amazing, Jim, that Corey Spangenberg 
uh, was the first first rounder to sign. Got at one point eight million dollars. He's already in low A. And Brian Goodwin, who you know, the consensus in, in Florida in the junior colleges was, you know, Goodwin's a really good prospect and he's got upside. But people liked Spangenberg better. Goodwin gets one point two million more dollars than Spangenberg. I think Spangenberg's in the top hundred. Who else on that Padres list might crack the top 100? And uh, what do you think of their draft performance uh, overall? I like their draft. I, I don't know if they necessarily have another top 100 guy besides Spangenberg. Um, you know, again, with Brian Goodwin, <laughs> touching him briefly, first three picks the Nationals spent, Rendon, Anthony Rendon, uh, Alex Meyer, Brian Goodwin all have the Boris Corporation. Everybody in baseball talks about how tight Mike Rizzo is with Scott Boris. You look at the Jason Worth contract. And uh, I think there was just some one-stop shopping uh, there that uh, Brian Goodwin may have uh, may have benefited from. Getting back to the Padres, I could see Spangenberg in the top 100. I don't even know if I think he's a lock top 100 guy, John. I don't think he's a lock, but I think he is. <laughs> he's an offensive second baseman with speed. I, I like. Yeah. I kind of like his profile. He he, he could. Um, but anyway, but getting back to the Padres on Brett Austin, I had heard going into the final weekend his initial asking price was two million. I believe they got the seven figures on them. I don't know how close they came. Um, I like their draft. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's, you don't see it necessarily a ton of guys from the draft make the top 100. I mean, this draft as a whole, I've been asked this question all year because we keep talking about how strong this draft is. The draft as a whole is probably going to have maybe 15 players, maybe 20 tops to go to make the top 100. Right, you know, guys come out of the draft. So, I mean, you aren't generally going to have a lot in a given draft make the top 100. But, right, I mean, just rattling through these guys from the top. You, know, you touched on Spangenberg. You know, athletic, very good bat. Joe Ross. You know, ball comes out easy. 91, 93. He's got good bloodlines with the brother in the big leagues. Um, Michael Kelly. You know, real interesting, big-bodied, strong-arm pitcher. Uh, they got him in the sandwich round. Jace Peterson, one of the more athletic college players available. You know, shortstop slash cornerback on McNeese State's football team. Austin Hedges in the second round. You know, it's amazing. Austin Hedges gets $3 million in the second round. He's like a footnote in all this spending discussion we've had. I, I um, can't even believe guys that. Talk I, about I've that whiffed guy's on that. How did I, have I not mentioned more that Austin Hedges got $3 million in the second round? He would have broken Josh the record. Got five. Josh Bell got five, so Austin Hedges is... You know, he comparison, I guess, but best defensive catchers in, in the draft in a while. So I think... You know, they, maybe only one top 100 guy, but I, I like what they did. I mean, and you know, again, you're talking a small revenue team, needs talent. They went out and got a lot of talent. I cannot believe that I just for, keep forgetting to mention Austin Hedges getting $3 million. So that $3 million bonus won't necessarily get him into the top 100. I agree with you. There's maybe one, maybe one or two at best for the Padres guys to get in that top 100. That's not a bad thing. It's just very difficult, I think, in your first draft – you know, your first year out of the draft that goes straight to the onto that top 100 uh, prospect list, and uh, finally Zach Mortimer just wants to say you've I think you've already mentioned it, but Zach Mort at Zach Mort says how great of a job do the Pirates the Pirates front office do? And yeah, I think you mentioned it. I think that you have to give some significant kudos to Neil Huntington and those guys, uh, their front office for uh, the boldness of the Josh Bell pick, and then uh, for getting that done. Uh, it seems yeah, like and Greg that's Smith, the, the scouting director, and those guys. Right. And you know what? I'll give I'll throw kudos to Frank Cunnelly. Uh I know probably scouting directors gnashing their teeth. You hear me say this, but I mean he's putting the money into the draft like he should. And uh, as we touched on, we don't have to go over Josh Bell again. But as we touched on with Josh Bell, I really don't think there was any shenanigans there on the Pirates' part. I think they took him, hoping to sign him, and they got it done. 
I don't think they knew they were signing him when they picked him. I just think they looked at it like this guy is far and away the best player on the board going into day two of the draft, and we're going to take him. If anyone's going to have this guy, it's going to be us. And that's the way they thought. And I think 28 other teams, the Tigers are not in that mix because the Tigers didn't have a shot at him. But I think, I think 28 other teams wish they had taken that flyer on Josh Bell as well uh, at $5 million. Good stuff, Jim. I'm sure we'll talk more about this uh, throughout the fall when we have other podcasts. But we'll let you go. Uh, thank you again for all the hard work on the signing deadline. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Now we're going to both go get some sleep. Exactly. Good talking to you, John. All right. Jim. For Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. It's the Baseball America podcast. We'll see you next time. Until then, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.